I invite you to open your Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 18. And I want to sort of continue my message from Good Friday. Not that anyone would remember anything about it. But I had considerable frustration because when I... When I went into the um, subject of forgiveness, it was like opening an artesian well. There was just so much that was there. And I, I just couldn't deal with uh, even, uh, even half of it. And so tonight I, I want to sort of pick it up and any homiletics professor would write me off because I don't have any points. I'm just sort of going to, I don't know, run through some thoughts. <clears throat> but there are some very important things about forgiveness and our relationship to God that I would like to share with you. And in this 18th chapter, what I want us to look at is this parable on forgiveness that we have Peter to thank for. You know, Peter had a big mouth, I guess we should say. He would come up with things before his brain was in gear. But as a result of Peter's sort of outbursts, we have some of Christ's greatest teachings, and this is one of them, a teaching on forgiveness, in the parable of the wicked slave. I want us to begin reading tonight at verse 23 of Matthew 18, and I'm going to be dealing with some other scriptures too, but uh, the main thoughts will come from here. Matthew 18, verse 23, for this reason... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And you remember, if you do, that 10,000 talents of gold would be billions and billions of dollars, an impossible debt to pay. And it says... In verse 25, but since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, just a few bucks. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. 
Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother, and notice this, from your heart. Let's pause in prayer. Father, we, we are people who need forgiveness and have received forgiveness from Christ. But there are so many things that we want from you. And help us understand a little more of what it means to have a real relationship with you. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. A week ago, for the first time, we, or most of us, heard of a man by the name of Robert F. Smith. <clears throat> Last weekend, he spoke at a commencement at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. And <clears throat> what he said was broadcast over all of the U.S. networks and then over the cable news and then it reached to Canada. Robert F. Smith was a billionaire, a businessman, and <clears throat> what he said in his commencement address that captured much attention is that he told the graduates that he was going to pay off all their student debt. Ninety-some graduates, and it would be in the millions of dollars. And uh, it created quite a stir. Now, what I found interesting is there are basically two responses. One response was that they focused on what he did, the gift, and how important that would be to the students. Because one of the problems with the, the costs of university and college today is students graduate carrying an enormous student loan debt that takes them sometimes years and years to repay. And he pointed out this was a burden lifted. One student interviewed said, now I can get along with my life. Uh, some of them owed, well, one I interviewed owed 90,000. I think there was a couple that owed over 100,000. And so some of them focused on what this would mean to the students. They focused on the gift. But others focused on Robert F. Smith and what he had done. And others, they focused on the giver. 
And, and what they said was, what a great man he was to do this. What a wonderful thing that this man did. And what kind of a man he must be. And I remember one of the students said, you know, I, I, I hope when I grow up, I can be like Robert Smith and do this for at least another student, if not more. In other words, the second focus was on the giver. Both focuses were legitimate. The gifts were important, and so was the giver. But the problem is sometimes that we can focus on gifts so that we lose sight of the giver, and that happens in the Christian life. I think that's what's going on in this parable. It's a rather strange parable, and I know you can't push the details of parables, but it looks like that this king forgave, and then he withdrew his forgiveness. Does God do that? Of course not. But the fact is, he did not withdraw his forgiveness. Actually, this wicked slave rejected his forgiveness because he rejected the king who was the forgiver. This is an important teaching in the scripture. That in order to have God's gifts, we have to receive the giver. And what this wicked slave failed to do was to embrace the king, to embrace his heart. What was the heart of this king? It, it, it tells us in verse 27, compassion, forgiveness. Verse 33, mercy. The wicked slave had none of that. And in rejecting the king, he was rejecting the forgiveness. Now, the point that I was not able to have time to really deal with in Good Friday was something to me that's very important, and that is this. That the gift that God gives us is not forgiveness, and it's not eternal life. The gift God gives us is Jesus. And with him comes forgiveness and eternal life. I want to look at a few verses. Best known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Look at what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave eternal life? No. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The gift is Jesus. And for those who embrace Jesus, and that word believe is literally a word, an expression, believe into. It's not just believing about him, but actually 
entering into a relationship, entrusting yourself to him and embracing him. And when you embrace Jesus, you receive eternal life. Paul makes that very clear, or not Paul, John makes that very clear in his first epistle in, in chapter 5 and verses 11 and 12. And again, look at it. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. But then notice, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It initially looks like the gift is eternal life, but then he explains it and says, this gift is only in the Son, and if you fail to receive the Son and embrace him, you do not have life. Another verse, John chapter 1 and verse 12. And again, notice this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It is those who received him who became part of God's family. A failure to receive him was to miss being part of God's family. That gift is found in Christ. And Paul teaches the same thing, and this is a very important passage in, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Now notice this. How will he not also with him Freely give us all things. The giving us all things is directly connected to Christ. When he gives us Christ, with Christ, we get everything else. And I, I want us to look at that passage in a few minutes just a little more. But, but here is the point I'm trying to make, is when we build a relationship with God and we base it on what he does for us rather than who he is, in other words, our focus is on the gifts rather than the giver, that's a problem. See, that's a problem in any relationship in life. If that relationship is based only on what that person does for you, that relationship's on shaky ground. Now, it's never truer than in marriage. The divorce rate among married people in Canada is about 40%. Have you ever wondered why we will divorce our spouses, but we don't divorce our children? This is just a minute. I didn't know that was a possibility. 
But think about it. There are two different relationships. Marriages get into problems if it's based on what that person will do for you. That is not the relationship with children, is it? It's not based on what they'll do for you. You receive this little baby fresh out of the hospital. It's going to do nothing for you. You're going to say, okay, kid, uh, you have to help with the dishes on Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. Every third week, you take out the garbage. That, that child is total work. You expect it to do nothing for you. Total work. You have to feed it. You have to change it. You have to clothe it. You have to bathe it. But you love it. But that's the whole point. You're loving it not because of what it does for you, but because of who it is. It's your baby. And uh, they quickly learn that they got a good deal going, and they learn how to get more out of you. Uh, Jonathan's not here tonight, so I can embarrass him. I can remember when he was, it would have been around two years old or under, but he was a toddler, and I remember I was sitting in the living room. He went into the bathroom, and he found the, into the box where the disposable diapers were. He got one, and he came out holding it up, coming to me, and as I recall, he was pointing. You know. <laughs> he brought it to me to change him. And, and I, I, I said, you know, if you're smart enough to be able to do that, it's time you learn how to use the potty. <laughs> but see, you resent a relationship without loving that person if it's only what you do for them. Big difference. Lil was away last weekend attending a, a, a wedding in, uh, uh, in, in California, a wedding of her niece. And on Monday, Lori and Jonathan invited me over for supper. They were, Jonathan was barbecuing, and Lori was getting the meal, so I, I went. And uh, so when we gathered around the supper table, Remy the dog came and parked himself right by me and stared right up at me. And he stayed there during the meal. Do you know why? Well, Lori has a rule. You do not feed the dog at the table. But Remy has learned that I'm a bit of a soft type sometimes. And I have to admit, there were a couple of times when I had a piece of meat that was mainly gristle, and he was so looking up at me. And I've had a weakness for brown eyes ever since I met Leela. And, <laughs> and he has these beautiful brown eyes looking up at me, and so I checked, Lori wasn't looking, and I... <laughs> And I knew if she was glancing just slightly away, that's all it would take because you know what dogs are. You know, I give to them and nope, 
and it's gone. <clears throat> Soon you would think, well, then I was his favorite there. No, 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 no. It was family. I would be at the bottom of the totem pole for his favorites. And as soon as he was certain I was finished eating, he left me, never came back. <laughs> totally based on what I do for him. Not that he likes me too, but not like the rest of the family. That was based on one thing and one thing alone would he do for me. See, that's where marriages get in trouble when it's based on what they do for, uh, for each other. I married many, many people, and I never kept track of how many, but I, I, I married a lot, as many as three in a weekend. And there were a number that I would marry I didn't know very well, and so in premarital counseling, I would try to determine why they were wanting to get married, whether this marriage would last. And if I heard them give the reasons why they wanted to get married was something that they, that person did for them, I would inquire further. I mean, I've had especially guys say, well, why do you want to marry her? Well, <laughs> she's a cutie. I mean, she turns me on. And uh, I would gently explain to them, well, a couple years after you're married, if you wake up some morning, you see her standing there in, in baggy flannel pajamas with, with sleepy eyes and hair that looks like extra long shredded wheat. Uh, <laughs> she may not turn you on. What are you going to do then? Now, we laugh, but you see, we can treat God that way. That it's not him that we want, it's what he can do for us. And if he doesn't do what we want, then we'll turn against him. And that has so much to do with that passage in, in Romans 8 where it says, He that spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, and how will he not also with him freely give us all things? This eighth chapter of Romans is a tremendous chapter. It begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And it is a great chapter on our security that we have in Christ that no one can condemn us and no one and nothing can separate us from God and his love. Amen. But there's something that's very important because we can grab that 30-second verse that we had on the screen and, and that he'll give us all things, and we think that that's everything we want. I, I, I heard, and I think it was Warren Wearsby just recently passed away, him say something, and I think he was quoting someone else, but he said this, and, and it's very important for us to stand, understand our Christian life. He said, we have security in Christ. We do not have safety. You say, what's the difference? It's a very important difference. 
we have security in Christ. There will be no condemnation because Christ paid for all our sins. There will be no separation because nothing can separate us from the love of God. But we don't have safety from trouble. In verse 35, when he says, who will, of, of Romans 8, and I'll just read, you don't have to turn to it, who will separate us from the love of Christ? He says, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And the answer is, none of these will separate us. But bringing these up is the acknowledgement that we do not have safety against these things, against tribulation, against distress, against persecution, against famine, and so on. And see, sometimes we demand safety from God, safety from cancer invading our life while we're still relatively young. Safety from tragedy hitting our family. Safety from someone who we thought loved us from, from stopping to love us and maybe divorcing us. We don't have safety from that. But we have security. We may have someone who claims they love us and then they stop loving us and fail to keep their promises, but our security is that Christ never stops loving us and he always keeps his promises. We may have our life shortened, but we have the security of eternal life. You see, this is why it's so important on this issue of forgiveness. Because we may look at that person that is expecting forgiveness from us and say, why should I? And this passage tells us exactly why. Because of who the king is. Who's the king? He is the one who paid that debt of billions and billions of dollars that we could not pay. And therefore, what our focus must be is not on our personal offense from someone else. Our focus needs to be just how much he has God has forgiven us, and then things will be in perspective. If we focus on that $10 billion debt that God has paid for us, we may not have such a struggle with the 10 buck debt that someone else owes us. And that's why we have to embrace the forgiver to know how to forget. That's the whole story of Luke 15 of the prodigal son. There are two sons. 
One embraced his father's heart, the younger son. Another never embraced his father's heart. What was the father's heart? You know the story well. The son who had wasted his inheritance and came back penniless and starving. And he initially is going to try to work his way back. And he's saying, I don't want a handout. I just want a hand up. Give me a job and I'll take care of myself. Then when the father runs and he hugs him and kisses him, the son is overwhelmed and we need to see the picture because the son wasn't standing there with his hands by his side as the father embraced and kissed him. He would have been embracing his father too and that's why he gave up his plan about working his way back and he just said, um, I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But now he was willing to accept the gifts because he was accepting and embracing the giver who was giving him a, a robe, a ring, and a party. That older son never embraced the father's heart of forgiveness and compassion. And you see that is the difference between the two. Now, a final word. When we look at this subject of forgiveness, I've sort of made it sound easy, you know, 10 billion, $10, it isn't. When we look at tragedies enter our life and realize we have no safety from adversity and tragedy. It's easy to say, oh, well, we have eternal life. But it really isn't that easy. And you see, the whole message of the gospel is that we embrace the one who loved us. And, and what our response should be was like that student who had his debt wiped out by Robert Smith. And he said, I'd like to be like him. Our response to what God has done for us in the cross is not to make a list, a to-do list for God that we expect him to do for us or else we won't continue to follow him. But our response should be, I want to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for the forgiveness we have in Christ, and we pray that you will help us to, to understand that grace, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.